I'd like you to turn to the book of Malachi. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. We're in the middle of this series, and, and the reason we're doing this series now is I wanted to uh, kind of end the year with the end of the Old Testament as it sets up the entry of the New Testament. So we'll finish Malachi the week before Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas. We'll start in Luke. And so we'll be in Luke for probably about 12 months or so. But I wanted you to see the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I wanted you to see where Israel is in the 5th century B.C., and what their attitude and and how their relationship with God was working so that we understand the incredible grace of God uh, that takes Israel as they were in Malachi's time and still sends the Messiah to them, still sends the Savior to them. So God is faithful to his promises despite the fact that sometimes we may not be as faithful as we can be. So in our first week, we found out that there were two types of people, only two types of people in the world, the people of God's favor and the people of God's fury. And we kind of boiled that down to the people who have Jesus and the people who need Jesus in an effort to, to change our nomenclature and, and get a perspective on who our mission field is because our mission field is everybody who needs Jesus Christ. So last week we took a look at the priests of Israel in Malachi's time and we found out that they're taking God for granted and it's showing up in their worship. It's showing up in the sacrifices they present. And the sacrifices are polluted. We found out what harm pollution could do to you. Now, we know what harm pollution can do to the environment, but it can also do damage to our spiritual welfare if we allow our, our, our lives to be polluted with things that are not godly. If we uh, put things of a higher priority in our life than God. And that's what the priests have done. But God is on the back burner. We found out that we, we don't have to make the same mistake, that we can consciously work on making God our highest priority in our lives. And then we won't have to suffer the fate of the priests. So this week, we're going to see what that looks like. We're going to see the consequences of putting God on the back shelf. And here's a truth for today. Here's, here's the one thought that I would like you to take with you as, you as you walk out this door as we have lunch together, that we, believers, people who have called upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are a royal priesthood. And we must know, we must teach and obey God's word so that, and we, we do that, so that we can bring honor to him and a life of peace to the people. That's our job, but this, this is what this passage is all about, and hopefully by the time we're done, I'll be able to help you see how we can do that. Our sermon this week is Guard Yourselves, really part one. We'll do part two next week of Guard Yourselves. The series is The Coming Messenger in Malachi, and I want to talk to you about this passage. It comes in three proclamations that God makes. We see the condemnation of these priests in verses one through three. We see the covenant that the priesthood was based on in verses 4 through 7. And then we see a charge. Now, this is not a challenge to the people, but this is what the people are being charged with. This is their infraction, and we're going to see that in verses 8 and 9. So let's start out by looking at this condemnation. God is going to condemn the priests for their failure in ministry. And we see this in verse 1. He said, And now, O priests, 
This is God dialoguing with the priest. This command is for you. Now, the word for command is not, it's not the same as commandment. Okay, the NIV translates this word as a warning. It should be taken as an instruction, as a caution. It's God saying, listen up. Now, li- listen carefully. He's about to levy some very heavy consequences upon these people, but we know that God is gracious and God is good. So if they are listening, then they will hear, you have gotten off track. This is your opportunity to get back on track. This is God calling attention to the things that they've done that have hindered their communion with him. Here's the command. And he says, if you will not listen in verse 2, I like this word, listen. It's the same word for hear. And the Jewish version of listening, the Jewish version of hearing is not just having your eardrums vibrated, but appropriating the things that you hear, incorporating them into your lives. You, you, know, you don't just listen to the words. You act upon them. You live them. You, you listen with the intention of putting these things into practice. So when you hear he who has an ear, let him hear. It's really, he who has an ear, let him put the truths of God into practice in their lives. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, and this phrase means a heartfelt concern to understand the deeper things of God, and there's an accusation in these two statements. What the prophet is saying is, you're not listening. And you're not taking this to heart. You're not taking this seriously. What what are they not taking seriously? To give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. This is pretty heavy stuff. If you're not going to listen to me, if you're not going to do the things I've asked you to do, if you're not going to be serious about it, I'm going to send a curse upon you. Well, what curse is God talking about? Well, he gave all the curses back in Deuteronomy 28. Joshua assembles all the people at Shechem. They have occupied as much of the promised land as Joshua is going to occupy. An altar is placed between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Half the nation goes on Mount Gerizim, and they pronounce the blessings that will fall upon God's people if God's people are obedient to his word. The other half of the nation is on Mount Ebal, and they pronounce the curses that will fall upon God's people if they're not obedient. You can take a look at this later on this afternoon. It's in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 68. 53 verses of consequences that will happen to God's people if they don't listen to his word. And I'll I'll tell you something. They are breathtaking. This is the curse that God is going to bring upon these priests in Malachi's time if they don't do what he says. And he says, then he goes, he's going to curse their blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Now, what he's saying is, I know you're not taking this seriously, so you're getting a taste of this already. And if I were to put a John Kavakis paraphrase on this, it would be, you not only refuse to obey me, but you don't even care about showing me respect. God's saying, I see where I am in your life. I've been shoved to the back. It's not what I called you to do. It's not what I've equipped you to do. It's not what I've given you this land that you're standing on to do. And the curse is directed towards the blessings of the priests. 
Now, the priests had two types of blessings. There was the blessings that they would confer upon the people that they ministered to. You can see those in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. So they would bless the people, but they also received blessings as the priests. And you can see those blessings in Leviticus 6, 16 through 18, and Leviticus 7, 6 through 10. And the truth of the matter is that they are already laboring under the curse that God is talking about. Let me explain to you how. Last week, we found out that the sacrifices were polluted. The priests were presenting substandard sacrifices to their God. They were supposed to be perfect. They were supposed to be without blemish. They're bringing in lame animals and sick animals and animals that are aged and falling apart and so on and so forth. There's all sorts of terrible things going on. And the priests are offering those sacrifices up to the Lord. Now, we haven't talked about this yet. We will get into it later on in chapter 2. But those sacrifices are the sacrifices that the people are bringing to the priests. You see, the priests lived off the sacrifices, the donations that the people gave. So the priests are offering up blemished sacrifices, and the people are giving the priests blemished and defective sacrifices to eat. So the priests are already eating bad food. They're already eating things that are cursed by God. And God is bringing this to their attention. You know, if you don't think the curse is coming, what he's saying is, and and this is just good advice for all of us, is look around you. Look at what's happening. Have you noticed what you're eating? (laughs) Have you noticed what you're putting in your body? This is supposed to be the good stuff, and it's the bad stuff. It's like the people, before they went to the sacrifice, ran down to Wegmans and bought the stuff that was on sale because it was expiring. And they're bringing in and saying, well, we'll give this to God. We'll save the good stuff for us. So he's trying to get the priests to wake up and be aware of what their situation is. Then he says, in verse 3, God says to them, behold, I will rebuke your offspring. Now, the word for offspring here is seed. Some people like to think that he's going to rebuke the harvest, except if you understand the Levitical priesthood, they didn't have any land. They weren't farmers. They were supposed to live off the, the donations of the people. So when we're talking about offspring here, the translation is their descendants. They have to be talking about the descendants, okay? So, and, and we need to understand that when God rebukes something, if we take a look at the time God rebukes things in Scripture, it means that he brings it to a halt. Whatever he is rebuking comes to an end. So what God is saying here is you're not going to have any kids, You're not going to have any offspring. You're not handling the situation the way it's supposed to be handled right now. And those of you that are rebelling against me will not have any descendants. Now, again, when we look at this through Jewish eyes, we see that this is is an embarrassment. This is a dishonor. The family was maintained by the bloodline being extended. And if they don't have any kids, the bloodline's not extended. The priesthood could come to an end. Unless there are some priests that are being, being obedient to the Father. So God says, I'm going to curse your blessings. The ones you give, the ones you receive are going to be cursed. And there's not going to be any children for you. Now, that is humiliating for a Jew. He would hang his head in the village that he lived in. And so now the priests are beginning to understand, well, this is pretty bad. Well, it gets worse. 
Because the next phrase is, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces and dung of your offerings. That's bad. God is going to spread dung on her face. The, the humiliation of that. I mean, we all understand that, but to a Jew, you see, when that happens, they become unclean. If they're unclean, they can't enter the temple. They can't do what they've been called to do. They have to go through a ceremonial procedure to become clean again before they can minister again. Now they have nothing to do. Not only do they have nothing to do, they have no means of supporting themselves. I mean, Leviticus tells us that they're going to be put outside the camp. When the camp becomes the city and the city has a temple in it, they're not allowed to enter the temple grounds. And the same thing happens at our offerings. They're, they're worthless. They have no reason to exist. And then God says, and you shall be taken away with it. All these bad things are going to happen. They're going to be consumed by their own infractions, consumed by their own sin. His rebuke occurs because they failed. God says that they're going to suffer the consequences. Well, what have they failed at doing? They failed at living up to the covenant between them and God. So God, God is just in everything he does. So he's not just condemning them for what they've done. He's going to explain to them what the problem was. And that's where we see the details of the covenant. God lays out this standard so that they understand what they have failed to do. In verse 4, he says, So shall you know that I have sent this command. I have sent this warning. This is a flare. These the things haven't fully descended upon them yet, although they can kind of see it happening. Okay? That you, to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand. Now, when Levi was raised up as a priest, uh, there was a covenant made between them and God. Uh, it wasn't just between Levi and God, though. Uh, the implication it was on the house of Levi, so it would be on Levi and all of his descendants who would be the priests. And uh, God laid this out so that the priesthood would be in perpetuity, and there were three primary elements to the, to the covenant. They were to teach the law, they were to pray, and that, that's a symbolism of burning incense, is symbolism for prayer, and they were to make atonement for the sins of the people. Those were the three things that the Levites were called to do. And what they will receive in return for that shows up in verse 5. So God says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace. God makes the covenant. He, he guarantees life and peace to the Levites. Now, I love that provision because we all have something we want out of life. We all have things that we desire. Uh, but I think if we were to boil down our heart's desire, if we were to boil down those things that we want the most, we would want to live and have peace. Uh, I think sometimes we're a little bit misdirected as to what is going to give us those things. Uh, but if we were to boil down what we want from God, we have, we'd have life and peace. God guarantees the Levites life and peace because he has formed this covenant. And he says, and I gave it to them. 
So, and it goes to them, not just to Levi, but to the entire priesthood. And what it produced in the Levites is what comes up next. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Now, again, we're not talking about this quaking in the boots. I'm trembling because I think God's going to get me. This is a reverential honor and respect for the Father. And that's what the priests are not doing. They're not honoring. They're not respecting the Father. Uh, So much so that they stand in awe of his name. Now, they're not just dropping their jaws because God has a fancy name. They stand in awe of who God is and how he relates to them. They're overwhelmed by the majesty and the glory and the purity of their God in heaven and the fact that they have been chosen by him to be his representatives. Then God goes on to say in verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth. He taught what was reliable. According to the revelation of God's truth, you could trust what the Levites were teaching. And no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. I love the phrase, no wrong was found in his lips. Again, the Jewish translation. What came out of your mouth is what was inside you. So if there's no wrong on their lips, there's righteousness inside them. And they walk in peace. And life, it's an incredible guarantee. But the priests aren't living in that. The priests, the Levitical priesthood, were to turn many from iniquity, cause them to turn and repent. And in verse 7, we found that the priests of the Levitical priesthood should have lips of a priest that should guard knowledge. They should preserve the revelation of God to his people. And that takes study and teaching. And if they do all that, and they receive all those blessings from God, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. I want you to hold on to that for a few minutes. The Levitical priests were the messengers of the Lord of hosts. They had the word of God. Well, the priests in Malachi's time aren't doing any of this. So God brings a charge against them. Clearly states what they've done wrong in light of the standard that was set before them. And the first part of the charge is, but you have turned aside from the way. See, the priests have not only abandoned the way of the priesthood, they've turned away from God. This isn't just, well, I was disobedient yesterday, or I I dropped the ball on the Bible study last night, or I made a mistake in a presentation. This was a wholesale turning away from the Father in heaven. They've turned to other gods. You know, and, and that's what we saw in the beginning of the book. They're worshiping other gods. God has become just another God to them. And God wants to prove in and through them that he's the God of all creation. And at this particular point, the people he's chosen to bear that message don't even believe it. They've turned away. Furthermore, God says, you have caused many to stumble by your instructions. 
The things you're teaching are causing people to sin. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, before everybody, before every nation. (laughs) Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So on top of everything else, They're showing partiality. They're showing favoritism in the people that they teach. Now, you think that's a pretty easy one to avoid, but let me me tell you a story. Kelly and I went to Israel in 2006. We signed up with a group that was going with Lon Solomon of McLean Bible Church. Good guy. Uh, I got a chance to meet him. Uh, I went down. I don't know if you've been to McLean, but they have a facility down in Tyson's that is like bigger than Warrington. Okay, they've got, they've got the, 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 the cafeteria, they've got the coffee shop, they've got a 4,000 seat uh, uh, sanctuary, they've got a sub-sanctuary, a chapel, I mean, everything's wired. In there. It's just absolutely incredible. And I, I was talking to Lon, and uh, he said, have you ever heard the story about how I got this place? And I said, well, no, no, what, what happened? He, well, we were in McLean, we had a church, we were growing beyond the church, we needed to move, and... Uh, we began looking and realized we couldn't afford to buy any land in Tyson's Corner. And we were thinking about, do we have to move out to Leesburg? What is going to happen if we move the church that far? But we just couldn't afford the real estate prices in, in Tyson's Corner. And so he said, you know, Steve Case comes to our church. And I, I, let, me, let me date you right now. Does anybody here remember AOL? <laughs> it was like the beginning of the, the mass acceptance of, of the internet, and the AOL was right in the middle. Well, Steve Case owned AOL. And so Steve Case had been going to Lon's church and uh, knew that they were looking for land, and he called him up one day and said, can we go for a ride? And Lon takes him over to this, this government building that had been vacated, and it's huge, and it's got its own access road that goes around it with little red lights in it and everything. So... And so Lon takes a look. He says, well, this is fantastic. We can't possibly afford this. How much is the building selling for? And Case says, $35 million, and I just bought it for you. And so it was an absolutely incredible thing. And of course, I'm sitting there listening to it, and I said to Lon Solomon, Case lives out in the plains, doesn't he? <laughs> and Lon said, yeah, and I went, uh, and you don't even think about it, <laughs> because I wanted Steve Case to come to this church. I thought, you know, we could do what he did out there for like only two or three million dollars or so. Okay. So, so it's easy to fall victim to, oh, this dignitary has walked in, this important person, this celebrity has walked in, let's sit him in the front, let's call notice to him, and so, you know, all that sort of thing. And, and these priests are doing that in spades, but it's easy to fall victim to. And it's kind of the coda on everything, not only have you done all these things, but you're showing favoritism in how you teach. These guys are in trouble. The Lord has condemned these disobedient priests to be shamed and to live an inconsequential existence. It's the worst thing that can happen in Jewish culture. Because they had departed from the ministry and caused a lot of people to stumble in their false and preferential teaching. So there's three proclamations from God on these priests. 
condemnation, the covenant, and the charge. Now, let me just, you know, Elder Ristow read the passage from Hebrews. And something we need to understand about how things work and how they work in the church is that, that you know, this message that we hear today uh, should be sobering to anybody that's going to teach, anybody that's going to preach. Um, it should be sobering to those who listen to teachers and preachers uh, because it means that you've got to be able to discern these things in a teacher or preacher. You, the, we need to take teaching seriously, um, but you need to be faithful in understanding the word and understanding when the teaching goes bad, when it gets off length. So you should be holding me accountable for the things that I say. I've told you before, I am fully accountable for everything I preach from this pulpit. You are fully accountable for everything you learn from it. You don't get to stand in front of the Lord on that day of accounting and go, I don't know, that's what John told me. Because God would say, I've given you the word. I've given you the physical word. I've planted it in your heart. Okay, so we're all accountable for these things. And this, this covenant with the Levitical priests has held them to that level of accountability. And now that they have violated it, they are being condemned. Well, they were called to a priesthood. Did you know that each one of us that calls on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior has a priesthood as well? That means each one of us has a ministry. Did you know that you had a ministry? I mean, it's why God makes us priests. So God has, has made a covenant with us. I'll get to that in just a second. But let me, let me just show you where Scripture says this. Because in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, Now, therefore, you will, need, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Oh, John, that's the Old Testament. Yes, it is. First Peter says in verse, chapter 2, verse 9, says to us, you and me, all those who call upon Jesus as Savior, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, there's the difference between us and the Levitical priests. We have received mercy. God has enacted a new covenant upon us. And although we have the same calling as a Levitical priest, now it goes to all of God's people. We are, we, we are not subject to condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are the beneficiaries of God's grace. That makes our job easier. We don't have eternity standing on the line. We're not going to have dung flashed in our faces. You know why? Jesus Christ took all that for us. That's what happened on the cross. We get all the benefits of the new covenant and we don't have to go through the things that the, the beneficiaries of the old covenant did. 
So we, we praise God for this. So if we understand that all of us are priests, that all of us have a ministry, then we understand how the church is supposed to work and how it's supposed to relate to the people outside the church. What the pastors are to the people in the church, they are instructors, they are overseers, they are called to be an example of godly living. What the pastors are to the people in the church, the people in the church are to the people in the world. Because that's what priests do. They're overseers, not lords, not people in control, responsible, accountable. They are instructors and they are examples. That means we all need to know the Word of God so that we can share it with the people that live in the world that we're called to minister to. See, Jesus taught the people that they should listen to, in Matthew 26, that they should listen to those who sit in the seat of Moses. Now, the synagogues had a chair. Whoever sat in the chair and began teaching was teaching from the seat of Moses. This was authoritative teaching. So Jesus, and, and, and you know, by the time we get to the first century A.D., the priesthood is, is almost completely gone and, and just as corrupt as it was in Malachi's time. So Jesus says, you know, when, when they preach the word of God, you need to listen to them. But he follows it up with, but you don't live like they do. You live as the word commands you to live. Now, they're not the examples. Christ himself is the example. So the message to the priests in, in, in Malachi's time rings through to us today. Pastors and teachers got to be careful how they interpret, how they apply the word. But those who hear the teaching need to know the word well enough to know that if the message is untrue, that they can, they can call it garbage. If it's true, then they've got to figure out what to do about it. The covenant that God has made with us and the terms of that covenant, the beneficiaries of the covenant... We are beneficiaries of. It's right there in verses 4 through 7. It's a covenant of life and peace. It's a relationship with God. And as we walk in that covenant, we are to fear him in a reverential way. We are to stand in awe of his name. His character and nature should overwhelm us with his goodness. We are to have true instruction in our mouths. We are to have no wrong coming from our lips. We are to walk in peace and uprightness. We are to turn many from their iniquity, and we are to guard knowledge because, brothers and sisters, you and I are messengers of a holy God. We become part of that cadre. God has given us the truth and he expects us to share it. As a royal priesthood, we must know, teach, and obey his words so that we bring honor to him and life and peace to the people around us. Praise God for the new covenant. Praise God that it's a covenant of grace and mercy. Praise God that we have an advantage that the priests in Malachi's time didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. 
And by his presence and his power, he makes us capable of doing all these things, not so that we can get the glory, but so that he gets the glory. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, we lift up your name. We exalt you. Only you could have come up with a plan like this, Father. And only you can bring it to fruition. We pray, Father, as we offer ourselves up to you, that you would show us where our ministry is, Lord. We are many people with many talents and and many gifts, and we pray, Father, that you would show us how to use them for the health of the body and for the sake of the gospel. Lord, we worship you. You brought us here to worship. And we pray, Father, that as we worship in spreading the gospel, you would empower us, Lord. Anoint those words as they go out, that we might see lives changed, transformations occur, and people brought into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray.